I've got with me today Linda Jones, coordinator of missions for CBF North Carolina. Uh, Linda has been a catalyst of support in my life, uh, beginning in the process of starting a new church, as she was the first person I contacted about um, what does it look like to start a church? What does it look like to start a church with CBF North Carolina, with CBF Global? Uh, and we've been good friends ever since then. Uh, she also works with CBF Global uh, along with me as we uh, try to build the best network of support around our church charter. So welcome, Linda. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, you've been a part of a number of church starts in the past. you were part of a church start uh, up up north. Um, and then also you started a uh, faith community in the Winston-Salem area of North Carolina. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, in uh, Connecticut was where we were. And um, uh, it was a, uh, a church planter who had started a Bible study up in New Milford, Connecticut, and invited us up as leadership, my husband and I. And we were part of that community for 11 years. We were the inner inner team of the core team. And and, um, in the midst of that, I went to seminary and got my Master's of Divinity. And from there, um, after 11 years, we went down to a church in Wilmington, North Carolina, and actually created a, a, a new church plant within a church and was there for 10 years and then came over to Salem where uh, myself and two others created a, uh, a progressive type of new church start, more emergent, you might say. Yeah, well, I hadn't realized y'all had helped start a church out of Winter Park. Well, it was the open door service and you might have just called it a contemporary service but it really wasn't um it really was an entity of something very different in fact it was the uh, first contemporary service in in town wow and um all the other conservative churches were uh bad-mouthing us about using video and theme-based and we would play james taylor songs or secular other secular songs. So we were really trying to reach out to the culture in a very different way. And even as how we um, formed the core team for it and how we brought um, newcomers into that church, which was all extremely, very different from the regular church. Well, nothing says edgy like James Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) We had a a wonderful time. We, it grew fast. It was really meeting a need in the culture at the time. I mean, we're talking 1996. Yeah. I guess James Taylor would have been edgy in 1996, but even just for a church to consider not playing Christian music in 1996 was, was a pretty big deal. Well, and the video, Oh, we showed movie clips and things like that. They thought that was terrible, but anyway, well, now everybody else is following suit. So you've been a pioneer somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say in each, in each instance, whether it was here in Winston-Salem or Wilmington or Connecticut, um, each church start was very contextualized yeah. to the area. Uh, tell me a little bit more about VIA Faith Community. It started out of somebody else's initiative. They had come to me as a missions coordinator here at CBF North Carolina and wanted to start a church. They had a good plan. And um, we, uh, we financially supported them. And after a year of, um, they struggled. They were first doing um, kind of something very out of the box in Greensboro and then moved it to Winston-Salem. And then there were 
person's wife said uh, she didn't want him to be doing it anymore. And so they abandoned the effort. And there was a group of us, a core group, that said, we can't abandon this. This is too important for us at this time, you know, and uh, really felt God's calling to say, um, pick this up and continue on. So there were three of us and then a few more attached on as they heard what we were doing, especially from um, Wake Forest Div School. Definitely a feeder to our efforts. And so that's how we began. We in initially picked up someone else's abandoned effort. As you did that, I mean, I, I imagine y'all somewhat put uh, your fingerprint into the maybe a new identity. Um, so what did that process look like as y'all kind of took over and began to take shape of, of this faith community? Well, we met for a year, um, the three of us and then the four of us, um, talking about vision, strategy, objectives, you know, really studying the community. Um, it was going to be a a very progressive new church start and that I meant um, we did, you know, we were planning to do some new things such as um, communion every week, very meditative um, video clips, which isn't innovative for that part. But um, we gave a, uh, a 12 minute sermon with dialogue afterwards, um, heavy um, relational and really trying to be on the journey together. And so that was kind of what came up after a year of, of meeting and praying and talking. And Winston-Salem um, has a strong community of um, artists, and we thought that we would be uh, tapping into that. And in the end, we were wrong about who we were tapping into. I think, I think when we first started meeting, um, we all had a passion to be a part of something um, deeply relational and deeply spiritual that we weren't finding in the churches around us at the time. And there were also quite a lot of new church starts happening around us that were very conservative, very different in theology than what we held. And so we really felt there was a place for us. There was a niche that, that, um, that people would, uh, it would meet needs and at least meet spiritual needs. And so we each, um, we were quite different ages. Two of us were older women, two younger guys. And Kyle brought music, a good musician. Pete brought spiritual formation. Bev had actually planted a church before, um, so she brought that to the table, some of her experiences. And um, and I brought my experience from Connecticut and from, you know, the church within the church from Wilmington. Plus, I brought organization. I think that's a gift of mine and, and very necessary. So we all, we all had something to the table. But above all, we had um, a passion for what we were doing and a commitment for what we were doing. Yeah, sometimes uh, helping people identify, um, you know, what they bring to the table, what their strengths and assets are, and, you know, that it's a vital part of becoming a church start community, especially in an emergent model. Um, you know, what was that process like? Was that, a, was that a challenge to help people identify those things? Uh, you know, what, what are some ways that, that you help people discover that? Well, I think in the beginning, I'm, I'm not so sure we had any um, specific ways other than us talking it through 
what what we hoped this would look like, what how we would participate, what we would bring to the table. Later on, I actually um, did my uh, doctor of ministry uh, thesis around uh, spiritual formation of the leadership team of the faith community because I found that um, as we went along, that became harder and harder to identify. As more people joined the team, it, it just wasn't so natural. It, it needed a little more of a fleshing out. And so um, I took them through, you know, um, the spiritual gifts inventory, leadership inventory, how they handle conflict. You know, we really, we did about five different tests and discussed along with a the theological base as to, you know, who are we and how do we relate to each other and how can we understand and learn from each other much better than we were. At the time, I found that everybody was sort of relating to me individually, but not really relating to each other. And relating to me as the church planter and not really relating to each other. Yeah. Well, you know, something you said there really resonates with me because, you know, kind of beckon back to uh, the quarter development process of Mosaic. And there's something to be said as, you know, some commonality I hear in your story and, and our story was um, this really egalitarian approach to um, formation of a vision, um, you know, and the key components that you build around a new church start. You know, everybody has uh, equal right to share uh, their thoughts, their dreams, their hopes, uh, what they feel like uh, they can offer. And, you know, there's a certain vulnerability that that, that requires. And, and when we make ourselves vulnerable, obviously, as a church community, um, we build stronger relationships there. And, and that can be a huge catalyst, you know, for the early going of a new church start. You know, the challenge is as you begin to fulfill that vision, as you have more people join alongside you, you know, how do you replicate that process or, you know, not in a, a you know, in a fabricated way, but in an organic way. And sometimes, uh, you, you take so long to develop a core group and develop, the, you know, the vision and the mission and the core components of a church start. Sometimes it's exhausting and you're ready to take a break from, from that approach that you took. But I think you have to be very intentional to keep going with it because as new people uh, join in and other people hop out, you know, whether they've moved or, or whatever the circumstances are, kind of have to replicate it over and over again keep that core group going keep that core group connected you know to the vision but also to each other and to you yeah i mean that's one of the things i think church starters have to really learn that hard lesson early on and really relive it um as we we live in a transient church culture and people jump from church to church to church whether it is because of relocation or because of what they're seeking. I mean, we're talking about the millennial and Gen X generation. They're saying will hold between 20 and 25 jobs in their lifetime. You know, so uh, that whole idea of settling into a church community, while it will, you know, hit home for a lot of people, a good portion of the people that a lot of new church starts end up reaching are people that do uh, leave for whatever reason. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to replicate that process. If not, you find yourself kind of uh, there with uh, with empty seats and empty relationships and um, an uphill battle to, to begin to start that process all over again. And I think you have to really hone in as new people join on your mission and your vision because it, get, it, it gets um, filtered out or watered down, you know, and down the road, 
six years down the road, you're going to find yourself, you know, not where you expected mission and vision to be. Now, take into account that the spirit moves you to different ways and things change. But but still, I found that when I didn't do core group leadership and, and they really got on board, for example, I found my core group down the road say, feeling like they loved our group so much and loved our worship so much and loved the smallness of us so much that they did not want to bring other people in. They did not want to change that, to change the dynamics. And yet that's our original purpose, to be the kingdom of God, is to bring people in. And so, you know, I battled that and realized that that had not been communicated enough over the years as a core value. Isn't it funny, the, the little habits that, that are so ingrained with it is despite if it's a traditional church or an established church, you know, that it's the nuance, this is my seed, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you don't even realize you're falling into it until all of us. I mean, and I, I preached it on Sunday mornings. We talked it, you know, but it, it, I didn't realize, you know, there was a few bold ones who just said, we want to we stay just as we are. <laughs> That's... And, you know, and another, another aspect was they all had their own ministry outside of the church. And mm-hmm. so I struggled doing, doing major ministry together as a church because they all were like, well, we have this ministry over here. We have our studies or we have our family. And so that was a core value that needed to be. Um, and again, I preached it and taught it, but um, I, for some reason they balked at that well and you know one of the things that we've spoken about um obviously outside of our time together on podcast is you know uh, about adjusting to the timeline uh and how we define success in new church starts that um you know while our partner organizations might not like this from their end of investment that the realistic picture is that some sometimes and church starts are going to exist for five or six years. And it doesn't mean they weren't successful. It doesn't mean that they didn't help transform lives. Uh, it, it actually can mean that they help bolster people into broadening and doing a greater work for the kingdom of God. But, you know, uh, when you are reaching a transient group of people, specifically your context where you have people in and out due to uh, master level work, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's about adjusting our mindset around success. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know if you could speak to that. Well, um, VIA has just stopped meeting this past year. And every, you know, my basic core group and members um, moved. They moved half hour away. They moved to jobs. They, it, it, it was just, actually, it was just strange to me that all, you know, that all happened at once. But we, um we ordained five MDiv students. We had seven interns. Um, two of our um, people are replicating um, via where they live, and other one is in another state, and one is in another city. And so, yes, I, I think we invested in lives. And I, I have plans down the road to try and let's let's try it again. Um, in the, in the right timing. But I also think that um, there were some core 
four things that that could have been done to make life easier. Um, and I didn't have CBF's training. We weren't on board. And I, I just, you know, I just didn't have what I needed. I think that your process of cohort and webinars and this kind of thing and the coaching they get all, all are extremely essential for success and will help them a great deal. Um, back to the to VIA and um, that we've stopped. Gosh, Andy, I don't know what, how, how to address that. Some of the early mistakes. Um, I think core group development, this, you know, continuing training core group, you know, with values, I, I just think that's absolutely essential because you drop some of the basic things like inviting others <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's pretty critical. Um, also, a big mistake was this egalitarian leadership. I think whether you need a core planter that is the core planter, we started out saying we all were the leaders. And, and yet, when push came to shove on certain issues, somebody needs to have the authority to say, I think we need to do this. Um, and I, I do think that was our demise. And I think it's really important to share this because um, without, I wanted to move our service um, into um, First Baptist Winston-Salem. And one of the core leaders who had been burned by a traditional church absolutely said no and so as egalitarian leaders what are you supposed to do mm. you know there was no point person now after that i became the point person but it was kind of after the fact there needs to be one leader who's designated the leader even if you're leading it as egalitarian leaders there's one person that needs to that everyone needs to agree is the leader and um for those times when you know it's really important and i think if we had been able to move we'd still be going hmm. well uh, you know i would certainly say that listening to all the ways um you know you talk about ordaining um Zindee school students uh, helping start other churches out of your church i mean via um in its current hiatus, uh, whether it picks back up in, in the same form it did before or it becomes something completely different, you know, that is a successful new church start. Um, you know, we, and I think, I think church starts help us do this uh, as part of the fellowship, but beyond that as churches within the kingdom that, you know, there is this paradigm shift that has to take place in how we define success. Um, and and I think I think what y'all have done is is helping lead that redefinition. Just it comes with time, and I think even within ourselves. I mean, we we naturally struggle with that. You think about uh, you you know me. You know the number one question I get asked is how many do we have on Sunday morning? And my honest answer is I've I've never counted, so I can't tell mm-hmm. you. You know, but how many times do we as church starters who even have that mindset within us? You have a, a down Sunday due to travel or people's busyness then your first thought to yourself is man where is everybody you know or instead of investing in who is there at that given time it's just a natural bread definition of success within us as being part of the traditional church for so long but uh, i do think i do think i learned a lot by the mistakes yeah. you know and i think um that the core values of the church inviting others ministry together those things 
just as each core person comes in, as each new member comes in, somehow has to be taught. And that's what we did well at Winter Park with um, the church within a church, because we had new members classes. I mean, it was more of a program church. But um, for those 10 years, when people came in, um, there were new member classes, there were, they established, we got them into relationships, we connected them to us tightly. And they understood clearly what we were about, and and they were expected to participate. And um, I think that's um, even even in in this day and age, those premises still need to be on the table about them understanding what what is this church about, what mm-hmm. are the core values, such as we're going to participate, we're going to do ministry together, we're going to invite others, some of the basics. Yeah, um, uh, terminology I might use as kind of it's a constant uh, process of recasting the vision. Um, yes. You know, it's so easy. You know, you you develop this beautiful immaculate tagline and mission statement. And you've got these core principles, but not just living them out, but understanding why you do what you do is so important as you develop a core group and beyond a core group. Um, you know, a leadership group and, uh, and a church culture as a whole. Um, you know, it's so easy to take time off from that. Um, but it, it really is so simple to find creative ways to draw people into that. And even, um, you know, one of the, the, the things I've learned is it doesn't need to be Andy or doesn't need to be Amy or, or even one of our leaders, you know, casting that vision or sharing why we do what we do, but inviting some of your people to come up and share stories about how they've lived into the why of, of the church and, um, you know, how, how that has helped enhance their journey with, with Christ and enhance the, the ministry of, of mosaic per se, or, or whatever church start someone might be a part of. Yeah. We were, we were reaching out to millennials is who, um, seem to come our way and enjoy our type of, of being church. And uh, they were ex- exceptionally hard to get um, on board and involved. And, you know, they were all doing ministry themselves, but they were, I don't know, maybe it was the institutional thought of our new church start or what, what that was about. <laughs> well, no, you know, it, it is, there's a curious thing that comes with millennials and I kind of straddle Gen, Gen X and, and millennials, uh, not to show a little bit of my age there, uh, the church starting has made me lose enough hair to, uh, to put me in a different category altogether. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it's, I look at the, the generation that I have, uh, I'm a part of, and it's fascinating about this group is they're more active in, in the work of changing the world around them than the generation before them. I mean, there's more nonprofit organizations, um, more churches, more ministries that are available today, but it's kind of like, yeah, it's like this niche, this thing I'm a part of, uh, this thing I directly have my hands in is, is important. And if I can't directly help shape the identity of this other thing, maybe I can't invest as much into it or it doesn't matter as much to me with my time, with my resources, with my availability. Um, so yeah, I think what you're saying is, is definitely true. I mean, um, that's why it's so easy for millennials to jump from church to church to church because they're trying to seek something that has a uh, deeper meaning uh, that resonates well with their soul. The problem is, is that y- you have to give time to shape culture. Um, the church is still the church and people have their habits and their paradigms they live within. And it takes time to help transform those things. And sometimes people aren't patient enough to work through that. 
Mm-hmm. You, you spoke about uh, the relational nature of, of VIA. Um, you know, what, what does that look like uh, for y'all? Well, I think it, it meant that church wasn't just a one time on Sunday, that we really, um, when we dialogued about scripture after the sermon each week, I mean, we really talked about the some of the things happening in our lives that normally we cover up, you know, for, for our Christian brothers and sisters, or we come to church and we don't share those things. We really um, cared about each other, prayed for each other, um, was part of each other's lives during the week, not just on Sunday. And we all were looking for that. I still miss that now, since we haven't had Vega for a little while. Yeah, there's a certain, I think there's a certain life-giving quality to being completely open with each other. Um, not to get all biblical or anything, but I, I think there's a lot more than confess your sins to each other that James talks about. I think he's just talking about confessing who you are, being open with one another, just kind of, uh, we've lost that in, in the church because it's become such a private culture, but uh, one thing one thing we were able to do is is we had a list of things that we kind of put on the screen um, before we set uh, up the time to talk. And it said that, you know, this was a confidential time, that um, there was no judgment, that we would give everyone a place to speak, you know, no one to mo- monopolize the conversation. We kind of set the stage for people to be vulnerable if they chose and by us modeling our vulnerabilities, I mean, and it's hard sometimes being vulnerable and saying what you really feel. Um, <laughs> that, um, it encouraged people to live in into that realm of um, really being authentic to each other. Well, I think that speaks to your nature. I mean, um, you're going to be honest with somebody, um, you know, and and it, it sometimes it's it's going to be this honesty that's kind of like I, others aren't going to tell you this, but I'm going to let you know this <laughs> this is what's going on, you know. But then you yourself are completely open and honest about who you are and uh, mm-hmm. the things you deal with. Um, you know, I think it speaks a lot about your character and, and journey uh, to be willing to open up and to talk about. Hey, look, we struggle in these areas with this church start. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm sad about Via. Very sad. And, you know, I put in seven years and, um, but I do think, um, it was a success in its own right. And if you asked anybody who attended, you know, and see what they're doing now, they say it's still very much a part of them and they learned a lot. I've even had people who were a part of it and left, um, to go to another job and, um, they didn't think they got much out of it. And then they come back later and say, I'm kind of doing via here and I didn't realize how, how formative it was in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I feel good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that speaks very highly of, of the work y'all have done. I think it's called a core group because it's absolutely essential. It's core to their success <laughs> I, of a new church starts success. Um, so many new church planners have so many other things on their plate, other jobs, uh, family, and it becomes more immense than people realize to lead a church plant. And we need each other on that core team. We need people to balance ideas off of, to share the load, to participate, do the work. And, um, and so you really need to, 
take time to who should be in that core group, who can handle it? Um, I've had the experience in the past of asking people to be in a core group and spiritually not ready for, you know, the heavy load and, um, and have had them spiral out of church. This was back at Winter Park. And I think that's very, very sad when that happens. Mm. So you need, you need people with spiritual perception, discernment, wisdom, as well as, um, you know, a passion and a commitment for what you're all trying to do. I've often to the horn of church starters. Um, you know, I think, I think church starting is, has got to be one of the most difficult jobs in the world. Um, you know, Forbes has ranked pastoring the fourth most difficult job in America. Um, you know, and then you add on there all the other responsibilities a church starter has to bear. And on top of that, most of church starters, especially CBF church starters, are by professional. Um, you know, so if you don't develop a strong team around you, um, you're going to, you're going to implode. Um, you're, and maybe not the first year, but down the road. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So developing a strong team around you as as you said, is just, it's an essential thing. It, it is core. <laughs> I like that. It is core to not just to the church, but to the church starter. Um, so, you know, a process of um, not just identifying strengths, but I think uh, maybe where it starts is some of what we were speaking about earlier, which is um, really, you know, seeking people out that understand why you do what you do. Um, you know, uh, I think talent and skills can be taught uh, of the things that you need per se, and you can eventually build, you know, a, a stronger team, a larger team uh, with some of those pieces but you can't necessarily teach people to have passion for why you do what you do. Um, you know, and so finding that out, seeking that out. And sometimes that comes from, you know, honing in from the beginning and hearing people's hearts and their minds and their dreams and allowing them to share those things and let that take a formative, uh, part in, in shaping the vision. Yes. And, and we always said that when a new person joins via it changes us because they brought their hopes and dreams and their personhood to the table and that's that's good that's all good well linda your work um far stretches the the work of via i mean we've already spoke about the the various members of the community uh some that were trained to go into ministry themselves um, but I just consider my own journey. I mean, you were years into your experience with this new church start and the many that you helped before. Um, and to be able to look at me, uh, not knowing me from Adam after, you know, an hour long conversation and saying, look, you have what it takes to start this new faith community. Um, you did. You did. It, uh, it really bolstered me into, uh, in, into that calling that, that, that I've been living into in the last few years. And so, I'm so honored that not only uh, am I been able to call you a mentor and friend, now I get to call you a, a partner in the work of helping develop, uh, you know, better church starts for, for the fellowship. So thank you for, for your great support. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.